They are 11 warriors. No, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom. It's March Madness Week, the NCAA tournament about to begin on Thursday, but Ohio State men's basketball will not be a part of March Madness this year. Ohio State's season is over, but a bit of an excitement to, to finish the season does not change the ultimate result in which Ohio State First losing season since Jim O'Brien's final season back in 2003-04. First time missing the postseason since Fad Mata's final season seven years ago. But we did see Ohio State make a run in the Big Ten tournament, make, make things a little bit interesting, although ultimately ending up in the same place of not going dancing this year. Yeah, Dan, Ohio State needed to win five games in five days, of course, to actually earn an automatic NCAA tournament bid. They did not do that. They ended up winning three games, but you know, no one actually expected them to win all five of those games, Dan. And just winning three was was surprising enough because, you know, with Ohio State being the 13th seed in the Big Ten tournament, they ended up making the the you know becoming the lowest seed to ever reach. Even the semifinal game where Ohio State ended up losing to Purdue on Saturday, if they would have won that one day and they would have been playing for a chance to get into the NCAA tournament. And, you know, there had been some thought during the week as Ohio State had started to to piece these wins together that, you know, since the NIT switched that rule a few years ago to say that teams with a sub 500 record could potentially, you know, still be selected to the tournament. You know, Gene, I believe Adam Jardy from the dispatch talked to Gene Smith, who said, who was kind of campaigning for Ohio State's candidacy in the NIT, despite the fact that they they wouldn't have had a, a 500 record unless they had won all five of those games. But then after the Purdue loss, Dan, I, I asked Chris Holtman, you know, his thoughts on playing in the NIT, et cetera. And he said that, you know, the, the team was dealing with a lot of like kind of undisclosed injuries, even beyond what we saw happen to Bryce Sensabaugh over the the, the weekend and the, the Zed Key thing, obviously. And that those would kind of be make it difficult for the the team to field kind of a full strength group for the NIT. So we ended up seeing Ohio State not not even going to the NIT. And and, and beyond some of the the kind of benchmarks you just listed off there, Dan, Ohio State also the most losses and the lowest winning percentage since the 1997-98 season, Dan. So it has been, you know, if you talk about that, it's been a Pretty historically bad year for Ohio State in terms of recent history. But like you said, they 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 do now have something to kind of hang their hat on after a very disappointing season. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, if we look at the season as a whole, it it, it was a bad year. It was a bad year. There's no real spinning of that 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 it was it was a bad year and and a year of it, you know, quite frankly, should not be seen as acceptable at Ohio State. Now you know, all indications are Chris Holtman is going to be back for another season. I know, you know, Monday night, Tuesday morning, there were some unverified Twitter rumors out there about Notre Dame being interested in Chris Holtman, but he, he had said a couple weeks ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, but you know, after one of the games or a press conference or whatever, he had said that he absolutely remains committed to Ohio state. That is still what we're hearing as of this week. And so, you know, all indications are Ohio State wants Chris Holtman back. Chris Holtman wants to be back at Ohio State. And I think the biggest justification of that is what we saw down the stretch of a season from those freshmen who really were the story of a Big Ten tournament, especially Bruce Fortin. Felix Akpara, Roddy Gale. As you mentioned, Bryce Sensabaugh suffered a knee injury in the second game of the Big Ten tournament against Iowa. He ultimately was shut down after that. And even if Ohio State had made the NCAA tournament, he would not have been able to play. I, I do believe my understanding is that that injury was a factor in Ohio State pulling itself out of the NIT conversation. I don't 
really think Ohio State would have gotten into the NIT anyway, because if you look at the field of teams, all the teams in there had records above 500. So I, I think it's a stretch to think that Ohio State would have actually been selected for the NIT. But, you know, my understanding there is there was some lobbying for it on Friday. And then on after Bryce was ruled out, they decided not to push for that anymore. So, you know, the season obviously over for Ohio State. But, you know, I think if you if you're looking for reason to be hopeful about the future of Ohio State basketball, it certainly starts at those freshmen we just talked about because, you know, Bruce Fortin, I mean, the last few weeks of a season, he was Ohio State's best player. He made the Big Ten All-Tournament team, and I think you could clearly see him becoming the kind of point guard that Ohio State can can build a team around. Yeah, I think he's a guy, you look ahead to next year, I mean, I, I think Bruce has elevated his game to the point where I think you could make the case that even if Bryce Sensabaugh came back, that Bruce Fortin might be Ohio State's most important player based on what he offers on both ends of the floor. Am I off base on that? No, I don't think so at all, Dan. I mean, you saw the down the stretch here in the season. Those guys were kind of lockstep in terms of what they were bringing to the table scoring-wise for Ohio State. And, you know, Bruce Thornton can also do a lot of other things, too. He also really upped upped the ante in terms of facilitating offense because that was kind of a, a criticism throughout the year. Like, I, I think he he still only might have finished the year averaging like less than or maybe a, a little over two assists per game or something like that. That doesn't seem like a lot for a guy that, you know, is considered kind of this consummate floor general, you know, stereotypical or, or a prototypical, you know, point guard. And so, but, but he, he elevated those numbers. He elevated his scoring numbers. He was, he was hitting shots from, you know, the outside, he was driving, making plays for other guys on defense. You know, he's certainly, that's been the big criticism of Bryce Sensabaugh this season and Bruce Thornton. It's, it's definitely not the case in terms of his defensive capabilities. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I've been talking about kind of in some of my, my kind of season end articles here recently is just the fact that, you know, for, for a while there, Chris Holtman was really talking about you know, during the losing streak, during the, the 14 losses in 15 games, et cetera, it was kind of like the, the the page started to be turned a little bit to, okay, but like the, the experience that these these freshmen are gaining this year is, is really going to pay off next year and everything like that. And for, for some of those guys, like at the time, Bruce Thornton was still going through kind of his freshman wall phase, kind of struggling a little bit. Like a guy like, you know, even guys like Felix Akpara and Roddy Gale, we hadn't really seen really, you know, true breakout performances from those guys. And so it still kind of was this like, yeah, like I can definitely see that being the case, you know, after the offseason and everything like that. But we haven't seen, you know, a, a huge showcase of those guys, you know, uh, abilities necessarily. I mean, Bruce, we had seen glimpses. Obviously, Bryce, we had seen, you know, who knows if Bryce is coming back. We'll, we'll touch on that in a minute as well. But that's why I think this this closing stretch Dan, has been so huge because it was like all of those guys. Like now we've seen Felix Akpara have a a double double with with five blocks in the same game. Some like an eight point eight rebound, three block game. Obviously, Roddy Gale comes out in the last three games of the season were just massive for him. And nine points in the final six minutes against uh, what was it Iowa? Then to score a career high fifteen points against Michigan State. Then to have a career high with sixteen points in the in the first half alone in the in the final game of the season against Purdue finishing with 20 huge games for him. Obviously Bruce Thornton on the, you know, all tournament team as just a true freshman, the only true freshman this year to earn that honor. So all of those guys now, Dan have, have flashed for sure for this team. And you can kind of more easily envision how good those guys might be. Whereas, you know, a couple months ago, it was still a little bit of a, an assumption, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think back to back at big 10 media days, when you talked to Chris Holtman and, and he had, talked about Roddy Gale and said that he thought, you know, Gale might end up being, you know, the best of those freshmen, the most important of those freshmen. And we really didn't see that until last week in the big 10 tournament where, you know, it seems like that end of game stretch against Iowa really springboarded him into two huge games against Michigan state and Purdue. And now you could really see, okay, that's why this guy was a top 50 overall recruit in his class. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of reason to be excited about him now as a guy who, you know, it at least on the offensive end of the floor, 
it took him most of his freshman year to figure things out. But now that he's got things figured out, I think he's the guy you look at and go, he could really be a star of a team next year. Same thing with Felix Akpara. I think I think we expected with Felix Akpara on the offensive end of things that there were going to be some growing pains there. I mean, Chris Holtman didn't shy away from saying that when he talked about Felix Akpara going into his freshman year. And so I think we knew that you know this first year was going to be kind of a developmental year for him. But I think we've see, I think we're starting. I think we've seen him start to come into his own late down the stretch. And you know, again, I I think you you look ahead to next year. I I think whether it's three of those guys or four of those guys that are back next year, you know, that's the core of your team now. That's those those guys as sophomores. Those are the guys you're really building your your team around next season. And I think that's the biggest positive you can take away from these last few weeks in which Ohio state went five and two, which, you know, is great. It obviously didn't really change anything, but I think just to see that, you know, really once the decision was made to start all four of those freshmen and make them the focal point of a team, things got better. And and I'm and I'm not I, I I'm sure some people hear that and their first thought goes, well, why weren't those guys playing more earlier? I don't necessarily look at it that way because I think it was clear, especially of guys like Gail and Akpara, that they needed time to develop. They they were fresh, but I think you know Bryce came in and he was ready to make an impact right away, at least on the offensive end. I don't. You know, Bruce to some degree, although we saw it grow from over the course of a year. I think with Roddy and Felix, that wasn't necessarily the case. And so I don't fault Chris Holtman there in terms of bringing those guys along more slowly than maybe some would have liked to see. But I think the fact that they've now all shown that they can play at a high level gives you optimism going into next year, especially when you consider that Ohio State is bringing in another highly rated class with several guys who at least have the potential to make an immediate impact. Yeah, Dan, we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. Just wanted to, to touch back on what you were talking about there. Like, yeah, it definitely seems like Ohio state, you know, kind of turned the team over to the, to the, to the young guys. And that's what, you know, Gene Smith told Chris Holtman kind of to do, because I think at a certain point it was like, well, what do you have to, what do you really have to lose after you've lost nine games in a row? You know, the longest losing streak since again, that 1997, 98 season, like you might as well let the, let the young guys build some confidence, show them that they have opportunities here. And, you know, they're not going to be riding the bench the rest of the season while they continue to stack up losses. And, and, uh, but it also should be said as well that like, you know, that that's great for the the future and everything, but just in terms of this season, guys, like I think guys like justice suing and Sean McNeil also really stepped up their game late in the season as well to help the team out and, and, and get some of those, those wins. And, and so, you know, the way Chris Holtman t- tells it is that, you know, kind of the, the coaching staff was trying to get certain messages across about, you know, style of play and how to handle adversity and, and buying into some of the things that, that they were saying and that he didn't feel like they were quite getting the message until kind of a certain point in the year. And he felt like the, the team kind of decided, you know, instead of quitting on the season or, 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 you know, just continuing to to not kind of hear hear the coaches out that they really bought in at a certain point, despite that losing streak, despite everything else, and that it kind of validated what, what Chris Holman thought, you know, the team needed to be hearing from him in the first place. So all of those things contributed, Dan, to that that turnaround. I don't know, you know, how much, you know, some fans are viewing that that late turnaround as, you know, so how celebratory that really is. I mean, it was certainly fun to cover Dan just being there. It was because I know a lot of people thought that Ohio State was going to bounce out in that first round. You know, certainly I think you said you had like 70% faith that they were going to to win that first game. I think a lot of people probably had less faith than that, but they got that one done and then they just kept rattling them off. I think the Michigan State win in particular was was big because Ohio State had already lost two games to Michigan State before, where whereas they had previously beaten Iowa. But so it was certainly fun to cover. And I certainly feel like, you know, for a long time, I felt like Ohio State was was just going to have this terrible ending to a a disastrous season. And that was going to be there was going to be criticism all offseason about Chris Holtman and that his seat was going to be, you know, red hot. Now, I feel like there's, you know, it's it's, like I said, there's it's something to hang the hat on. It's a boost for the program going into the offseason. And it feels like 
you know, people are still maybe a little bit angsty, but I think less so than had they just continued to keep losing games all, you know, all the way through throughout the final leg of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, I think the the people who had already made up their mind that Chris Holtman should be fired based on how the team played in January and February, that probably didn't change their mind. But I, I think, you know, I think for, you know, many people, it, it, it at least gave some hope. I mean, it, it's certainly better to finish the season that way than if they had just kept on losing, lost in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. I think the vibes would be significantly more negative right now if Ohio State had lost to Wisconsin in the first round than, you know, to make a, a deep run and, and you know, show some competitiveness, show some fight. Now the question is, you know, you, you talked about what, you know, what clicked there in the last few weeks and they have a team buying in. Now I think you really got to go back and you got to look at, okay, why did that January, February stretch happen? Why wasn't the team buying in then if they were buying in late in the year and what needs to change? So that doesn't happen again this year, because I think that that's the big, you know, I think there's, you know, there's the glass half full and the glass half empty. Look at the situation, right? I think, you know, the, the, the optimistic viewpoint is, Hey, there's this, this really good recruiting class. We really started to see what they could become at the end of the year. And now we're bringing in another, really good recruiting class. And if all that meshes together with all the young talent we have, the future of this program should be bright. I mean, I think, you know, I think the old, you know, you, you look at the two classes there, you know, it next year's roster, it's not going to be the most experienced roster. And we'll, we'll get, we'll get into roster construction here in a little bit, but I think like from a pure talent perspective, next year's roster should be the most talented roster that Chris Holtman has had just in terms of the type of players he's recruited. Even if Bryce Sensabaugh leaves, it would look better if Bryce Sensabaugh stays. But even if Bryce Sensabaugh leaves, I, I think that's true that next year's roster should have the most top-end talent of teams that Chris Holtman has had at, at Ohio State. The, the question is, for glass half-empty, Lou, is we, we've we've set expectations for this team before we've talked about talent before and Ohio state has not been able to get over that hump. They've, they've, you know, they've ev almost, almost every year under Chris Holtman, they've had a stretch where the wheels have fallen off the bus and, you know, they, every year they've ultimately kind of, they've been able to get things back on track. And, and, and at some point this year, that just came way too late for Ohio state to be able to do anything with it. But, you know, how do you avoid how do you avoid that drop off? Because we, we, we have it has been a consistent trend with Chris Holtman's teams, whether, you know, in January or February, we, we have seen it almost every season where there's been a, a rough patch in the middle there in conference play that, you know, has hurt this team. And so that's what I think, you know, Chris Holtman you know, really needs to figure out here this offseason is is how can we take what we did in the last few weeks of the season and sustain that over the course of a full season? Because I mean again, like the team the team we saw in the last few weeks realistically looked like an NCAA tournament team, but they put themselves in such a big hole that it didn't matter. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think like that's the thing because it feels like the team figured something out there, but now you know it, you still are going to be relying on on another true freshman class, and so you have to wonder: is that class going to go through the same so the same kind of struggles there? You know, to start next season, and and I think you're going to need significant contributions from a couple of those guys, Dan, because you know Ohio State, despite the fact that all the the, the freshmen from this year are going to be another year, you know, more experienced and everything like that. You still are potentially losing some pretty, some pretty important pieces that you're that you're going to have to get, you know, legitimate contributions to kind of fill those those gaps. But but Dan, I guess before we get into some of those those roster construction things, let's just pose this question here because you mentioned expectations for, for Chris Holman and the talent on the team next year and everything like that. Um, and, and this is a question I've gotten to Dan doing the 
the weekly beat writer chat in the 11 Warriors forum on the website. What is the minimum expectation for, for Chris Holman? Because obviously the talk all year was, you know, is Chris Holman going to keep his job? You know, is, is he, is he the, the rumors now that you already alluded to, is he looking elsewhere, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We expect him to be back, but what does he have to do next year in order to avoid having the same conversation and even maybe a louder conversation at this point next year? Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, he has to make the term, right? I mean, it has to, I mean, Ohio, if, 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 if Ohio state misses the tournament two years in a row, then I think it, should, it will be pretty obvious what needs to happen next year. I think, you know, that's, that's pretty clear that Ohio state has to make the tournament next year. You can't at Ohio state, you can't miss the tournament two years in a row. If, if, if not, it's time for coaching change. So I think that's the, the bare minimum. Now, you know, I think the bigger question is, should the minimum be higher than that? Like, should it be getting to the second weekend for the first time? Should it be seriously contending for a Big Ten title? Um, that's a harder question to answer. That 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 I just don't, I don't know that I I I have a great grasp on like what exactly, you know, like I I think it's too far to say that. Chris Holtman has to make the sweet 16 next year. He's fired. I, I think, I think that's too far. I, I just, I, you know, I, I can understand why some people probably want that to be the case, but I, I, I can't go there yet. I think there's too, there's too many variables in what can happen in the NCAA tournament to say Chris Holtman gets fired if he doesn't make the sweet 16 next year. But I think making the NCAA tournament is a must. and you know, demonstrable improvement over what we saw this season is a must because Chris Holtman is going into year seven. And Gene Smith did say when he hired Chris Holtman that the expectation for Ohio State was to be a top 15 basketball program in the country. And it has not been that yet under Chris Holtman. And so I'm not going to say that I think Chris Holtman has to make the Sweet 16 next year to keep his job because I don't think that that's necessarily where Gene Smith or Ohio State is at, but I do think there has to be clear progress toward that, especially based on what we saw this year. Yeah, Dan. Obviously, two seasons ago, that was the the whole narrative, right? Is so you know Chris Holman can't get to that Sweet Sixteen round. Like, when is he going to get over that hump, et cetera? Now. And we've taken a step back in terms of expectations because now we're saying, you know, Chris Holman just needs to to make the tournament. But I, I agree, though, because, you know, I think the thing is here, like the the way Chris Holman was kind of talking about how him and Gene were were kind of orchestrating things behind the scenes. And, and Chris Holman said, like, this was kind of a, a philosophical rebuild, a, a philosophical, you know, a, a different approach philosophical philosophically for him with the team starting this season. So for him, so I think for, for a lot of fans coming off the heels of last year, it was like, okay, now it's time to get over the, that hump. But I think for, for Chris Holman and maybe Gene Smith and the whole concept of, you know, just play the freshman, you know, just em- embrace that you're going to have struggles. You know, Chris Holman talked about the knowing that the team is going to struggle a little bit. I don't know if, if everyone else, the fans who, who are clamoring to get to that next level were, are, are you know, we're, we're going to be as patient for, that kind of year year plus rebuild here. But I think that's the question is, is how quickly that's going to materialize into, you know, some of the best teams Chris Holman, you know, might have had at Ohio State. Is that going to happen as soon as next year? Is that going to take, you know, another year for, for some of next year's freshmen to come in, you know, have kind of the same process as this past year? And then maybe, you know, hopefully you get guys like Bruce Thornton and, and Roddy Gale you know, staying for, for, for a third year, depending on what their seasons look like. And is that the point where, you know, at that point, Ohio state's ready to make that, that big jump, you know, that remains to be seen, but certainly have to make the NCAA tournament next year for Chris Holman. I completely agree. And and to be clear, like, I, I think the expectation for next year, at least for like what ideally Ohio state should be achieving I think the, it should be making the second weekend of the tournament. Like that should be the expectation. That should absolutely be the goal. But you know, again, if we're if we're talking about like 
hot seat if we're talking about like ultimatum kind of stuff like you have to accomplish this my feeling is it's not going to rise to to that level next year but you know i do i do think it's i do think it's clear that you know you you have to make the NCAA tournament i i think you know certainly you want to see ohio state make the sweet 16 you want to see ohio state in the in the mix for a a big 10 title um you know whether you know again those are criteria for keeping his job i i still don't know that we're there but i i think you know those should certainly be the goals of course there's a lot that has to happen to get there for sure dan and now let's get into you know kind of how the team is going to look next season you know kind of the outgoing pieces incoming pieces things like that dan the three seniors for ohio state that we know are not going to be back are Justice Suing, Sean McNeil, and Isaac Likely. Of course, Isaac Likely didn't, you know, provide a lot in the way of of scoring the basketball. Certainly, did things that that don't show up in the box score. I really thought that that a big part of Ohio State's late season run was the improved and, and more consistent play of Justice Suing and Sean McNeil stepping up for a couple of huge games. His three point shot kind of falling a lot more. Uh, late in the season. And so like when you see the level that those guys were playing at late in the season, suddenly those feel like kind of, you know, a little bit bigger losses than than they might have like a month ago when those guys were were having single digit scoring performances and, you know, not having a super efficient nights offensively. But but all three of those guys are going to be gone. The you know, the, the big question here in the offseason, Dan, is, of course, is Bryce Sensabaugh the standout, you know, star freshman for Ohio State, leading scorer on the team, third team, all Big Ten, all freshman team in the Big Ten this past year. Projected first round NBA draft pick, Dan, a lot of places, but obviously a lot of questions about his defense and, and his defensive skill set and things like that. Is he going to be back for Ohio State? I I feel pretty strongly after hearing just the the comments from and and you know he, hearing Roddy Gale after the the Purdue game talk about. You know, the returners not mentioning Bryce, Chris Holman talking about Sensabaugh's knee injury and saying, you know, he's got a really bright future. We don't want to, you know, things like that. Like that all seems to points to me to the fact that I do not think Bryce will be back next year. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody should be holding their breath expecting Bryce to come back. I, I mean, I mean, you know, I've you know, I've been glancing at the NBA mock drafts here and there, and they all still consistently have him projected as a top 15, 20 pick in the draft. And so that's a hard thing to pass up, you know, because if you're Bryce, you know, if you, if, you know, I, I think there is a legitimate argument that can be made for Bryce to come back for another year. And it's not, not just a selfish, we want him at Ohio state in every year argument. Like, I think you could make the case to Bryce, you know, if you were his coach or if you were somebody advising him, you could make the case to Bryce that, you need to get better defensively to play in the NBA. And for your long-term career development, you may be better off developing at the collegiate level in another year. Because, like, you know, if Bryce goes to the draft and ends up spending a lot of his rookie year in the G League, like, I wouldn't be surprised just because I think the defensive part of his game is going to have to get better before he's a guy who can play consistent minutes in the NBA with that being said, you know, his clear upside that he's shown as a scorer is going to make him a first round pick. If he declares through the draft and, you know, first round money is hard to turn down. If he comes back for another year, there's no guarantee that his stock increases because, you know, especially in the NBA, you know, so many of the top picks are these one and done guys now that, you know, there's just no guarantee that coming back, will actually bolster his draft stock. And so, you know, Ohio State would love to see him come back. You know, I think certainly the ceiling for Ohio State next year increases if Bryce Sensabaugh comes back. But, you know, I, I think right now the, the smart money would be on Bryce Sensabaugh not coming back. And I think because of that, I, I think that does make losing guys like Justice and Sean McNeil a little bit more noteworthy. I mean, you know, none of those free seniors that they're losing are irreplaceable kind of guys, but 
I mean, you, you do look at it, you know, in, in terms of, you know, top scores from this past season, you know, assuming they lose Bryce and then, you know, you, I'm going to take a look at the stats here real quick. You know, you, you're looking at losing three of your top five scorers from this past season, Bryce Sensabaugh, Justice Suing, Sean McNeil. You know, you've got, you know, another role player there and, and Isaac Likely, a guy who was certainly one of your best defensive players. And, and you look at next year's roster, you know, the, the good news is, assuming Bruce, Roddy, and Felix are all back, you know, those guys all have a year of experience. And I, I think those three go into next year as your top three players. Now that they have a year of experience, I think they're, you know, that those are the guys you're going to really build your team around. You still don't have a ton of other veterans though. I mean, really of, of guys who were consistently in the rotation this past year, the only other guys you'd have coming back are Zed key and Eugene Brown, you know, Tanner, Tanner Holden's kind of a wild card because, you know, I know, we both expected Tanner Holden to be somebody who was going to play a significant role on the team this year. And he, you know, he ended up playing in the big 10 tournament after Bryce was ruled out, but for a good chunk of the latter portion of the season, he wasn't playing at all. So it's hard to know what his role could look like, but you know, I feel like you you look at like the junior senior contingent of the team, you're, you're still lacking there. And you know, I, I think there's some question, you know, for, first of all, I think the biggest question that I look at when I look at next year's roster construction is can Felix Akpara and Zed Key coexist on the floor at the same time? Because you'd have to say that those are two of Ohio State's four best returning players, assuming Bryce Sensabaugh leaves. But can Felix Akpara and Zed Key playing together, is that a recipe for success because we've seen the game move away from having two post guys on the floor. I mean, we, we, we talked about it a lot going into this past year and it never quite materialized the way that I thought it might, but you know, it's become a more guard driven game. It does having two post guys playing major roles to the point where they are on the floor together on a regular basis. Is that, a recipe for success for Ohio state. I don't know. What do you think Griffin? That's a, that's a huge question we've been talking about because obviously when, when Zed key got shut down for the season, there is when Ohio state went on this mini run here and finished the, finished the year five and two. And a lot of the conversation kind of, you know, behind the scenes is like, you know, as far as we're concerned is like, man, it was, it was, it was key kind of, and, and just the style of play was Zed key. Um, you know, holding Ohio State back at all. Obviously, that his playing through a shoulder injury did not help matters as far as that's concerned. And we saw kind of a diminished a Zed Key there in the in the second half of the season. But then you're talking about you know playing without without Zed Key and the success they have. Now you're talking about bringing him back, not only playing you know him out out there on the floor with those guys, but you know playing a lineup that we didn't see really at all this past season, which is. Key and Felix Akpar on the floor at the same time, that would seem like a radical departure, Dan, from the, the, the style of play we saw Ohio State have so, so much success with. Because, you know, a lot of these games down the stretch here, too, like Felix Akpara didn't log like super heavy minutes in some of these games. Like they, they had a lot of the, you know, Eugene Brown playing the five, a lot of, you know, sometimes Isaac Likely playing the five. And that was was something that like, you know, after they beat Illinois, like the, the Illinois guys, you know, Underwood and company saying that like they had a lot of problems with with those those matchups on the other side of the floor and stuff like that. So so, yeah, that's that's a, that's a huge question for me, too. And you're bringing in Austin Parks at that point, you know, a 611 guy as well. So like does Ohio State try to lean in more to 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 that kind of roster build or or do we not end up actually seeing that 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 key Akpara lineup nearly as much as as it would seem like from from Chris Holtman talking about it? Yeah, I, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that we're going to really see a lot of Akpara and Key on the floor together. I, I mean, in my mind, I, I think based on what we saw late in the season, assuming he continues to develop, I think Akpara should be the starting center next year. I think Zed Key can still have a role on the team. I, I think it might look a little different from what it's looked like the last couple of years, but you know, I think there's still a role for him there. I, I just don't know that starting those two guys together is going to be the right path forward for Ohio State. 
you know, that said, I think when you when you look at next year's roster, I think the big question mark becomes, okay, who fills that void at the three, four spots? Because I think you look at Bruce Fortin and Roddy Gale being two of your starting guards. You you look at, you know, Felix Akpara, Zed Key playing roles in the post. But if you lose Bryce Sensabaugh, you lose Justice Suing. I, I think the big void that leaves there is, okay, who who can be that, you know, power forward, small forward, wing, whatever, however you want to describe it in terms of positions. I think that's the big void that really needs to be filled in terms of who can kind of be that versatile scorer at the forward position. And so, you know, maybe Tanner Holden can give some of that. We'll, we'll see just because we didn't see much of it this past year. You know, I think to me, I think Eugene Brown kind of is what he is at this point. I think he's a, he's a role player. He's a good defensive player. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that's going to be a primary option on the offensive end of the floor. And so, you know, I think that really leaves it. Okay. Can a guy like a Devin Royal come in and can he be that guy immediately? And I think there's a chance he can. I mean, my read on it, and you you know those guys a little bit better than I do, the, the freshmen, but my feeling is, at least offensively, I think Devin Royal might be the most ready of those guys to contribute in year one. Scotty Middleton may be most ready defensively as kind of a two-way player to contribute. That would just be my read on it without having studied those guys a, a little bit too much. But I also would think in terms of, you know, we don't know how many transfers Ohio State is going to have. They they may only have room to add one, but you would think the top priority in the transfer portal would be adding somebody to play that, you know, four three kind of role and give them some scoring at the forward position. What do you think about that, Griffin? Yeah, Dan, to your point there, Devin Royal certainly does fit the fit the mold as a, you know, at, at the high school level, he 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 really is able to use his physicality more. I mean, it, obviously at the high school level, a guy like that who is what, like six, seven, six, eight-ish, he's a guy that, you know, he he kind of started out as, as more of a big man. He's kind of rounded out his skills more on the perimeter. I've seen him even play a little bit of, you know, point forward at at times. But I don't know how much of his perimeter skills are going to completely translate right away, but I agree that his physicality he's a, he's a strong guy he you know he he seeks contact things like that a, a good finisher at the rim things like that i think that will will translate right away his, his physicality and and kind of body but will can he kind of round out those perimeter skills to be able to score as more of a, a traditional 3 at the college level that's what i kind of wonder tayson chapman is probably the most polished like offensive player in that group for sure in terms of what he can do as a shooter and shot maker off the dribble and things like that. But when, when Chris Holman was kind of asked about some of those guys, I don't remember if it was on the radio or in a press conference setting, he he kind of listed them. Like he wasn't, I don't know if he was trying to, to list them in any particular order, uh, but Chapman, I think is the highest rated of those guys uh, of, of Royal Middleton and Chapman, unless, unless, you know, those rankings have, shaken up a little bit there, but for a while he was the, the top rated guy among those three. And, and but, but, but Chris Holman kind of mentioned him like third in, the, in that mix and, and then said like, he's going to have to get a lot stronger. He's gonna have to work on his strength. So that makes me wonder if, you know, the coaching staff thinks that he might have kind of a, a transitional period in terms of his physicality, something that I think Royal will, will possess more of right away. Middleton definitely reminds me of like a Roddy Gale where, you know, defensively, I think he he can come in and play right away. Offensively, maybe not as as refined as you know a, a Chapman or maybe even a Royal. Kind of kind of raw offensively. I, I saw I saw you know I've seen Royal and Middleton play in person. I have not seen Chapman play in person. But but Middleton like a longer Roddy Gale. I think you could kind of make a comparison there for sure. Um, and then Austin Parks obviously coming in as a as a big man, a six eleven. I'm I'm not sure exactly where he fits into that that mix if you have key and Akpara already coming back. But yeah, I, I certainly agree with you there. I think that there's definitely going to be a hole at that, that, you know, small forward position. Now you could say like, you know, what, what happens with Eugene Brown, you know, this offseason because, because he's a guy that, you know, he came in as like a two guard and then he ended up being kind of longer and, and taller and bigger. I know that was something that the guys were saying right away, like, Oh, Eugene Brown's a lot kind of bigger and taller than, than we actually expected, but he's been, he's a guy that's been having to play, you know, center for Ohio state. And, and I don't know how much of a green light he really has 
you know, to do a whole lot on offense anyway. Does that change as he, you know, obviously his season this year was was really hamstrung by that concussion that kept him out earlier in the year and kind of, you know, shortened some of his offseason as well with some other injury issues. So, so does he, could he make a big jump offensively or does it have to be, you know, obviously a guy in the transfer portal? We're already getting here just, you know, today alone reports about multiple guys that Ohio State has reached out to in the transfer portal. One of those guys, Dan, would certainly fit the mold as a, you know, a three, four uh, type of forward guy, which is Louisville transfer Kamari Lands, who six, eight, I believe, I don't know how much he weighs, but I'd have to look, but he averaged 5.9 points per game as a freshman for Louisville. You know, that doesn't jump off the page necessarily, but he was a top 70 prospect in the 2022 class, um, a, a four-star guy that, so, you know, could that work? It's that, that, that That's less of a, you know, a lot of the guys Ohio State's taken have, have kind of been kind of older, more proven guys that are coming over, right? If you, you talk about even just this past season with the likes of Likely and McNeil coming in for their last season. This wouldn't exactly be that. This is a guy that maybe would have to, you know, grow a little bit, you know, in the, in the coming years. Another guy, a guy that would fit the mold more of the, you know, guy coming in for his last season who who's done a lot in college basketball is Nicholas or, or Nick Timberlake for a thousand who is reportedly supposed to have a Zoom meeting with Chris Holman on Tuesday night, Dan. He averaged 17.7 points per game for Towson this past year. Five years at Towson, uh, I think is his first year. Looks like he only played nine games, so I'm assuming that was probably some kind of injury issue that he got an extra year of eligibility from that, plus the COVID year. So this would be his his sixth year, Dan. But the biggest thing for for that, he this isn't this is not like a, a three or a forward, but I think it would address another need for Ohio State, which is if you're losing Sensabaugh and McNeil, those were two guys that, that could really stretch the floor for you as shooters. And while we saw guys like Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale hit, you know, threes down the stretch this season, I, st- I still think you would need a little bit more outside shooting. If you're, if you're losing guys like Sensabaugh and McNeil, this is a guy at six, four, 200 pounds, a 40% three point shooter. in, in both of the last two seasons, averaging upwards of five and a half threes per game. So that would certainly address a need as well, Dan, for Ohio State. I think both of those, you know, those guys, just as a small sample size, because obviously we'll see reports that Ohio State's reached out to a whole laundry list of transfer guys here in the coming weeks. But those those two guys, I do think, represent kind of those roster needs right away when you look at, you know, what Ohio State needs in the transfer portal. The way you describe Devin Royal, would it be off base in your mind to think that you know, he could potentially have an EJ Liddell kind of trajectory at, at Ohio State and potentially be able to make a similar kind of impact as Liddell made as a freshman, as a freshman. I think I do think that that Liddell came in as more of a a four. And I think that Royal is is kind of like trying to become, you know, because we saw towards the, the tail end of Liddell's career, he was trying to become more of a three for the, for the NBA. Right. And, and he even played like five, a lot of times, what was it that, that his sophomore year and stuff like that. So for Royal coming in, I think like even, even in kingdom league playing with some of the, the current Ohio state players and stuff like that, I've already seen him try to, to make that transition into being more of a traditional three right away coming into college, because I, I don't know, he, I, I don't know if he quite has the the stockiness right of an EJ Liddell who came in really with a a college ready you know body right away at Ohio State. I think Devin Royal probably will project more as a traditional three right away, but he does he does have that physicality inside that you're looking for at that position. When you know when we just look at Ohio State's roster next year just overall like you know do do you have any early thoughts on just like what the starting lineup's going to look like what the rotation's going to look like yeah that's a good question i mean the the i haven't put a, a whole lot of thought into that just because the i'm still i'm, I'm still on the chicago <laughs> the back of that chicago trip this past weekend dan but i certainly think you know the guys that we saw starting at the end of last season i mean but that, that's a big question again is do you are you are you really going to start key and Akpar or is one of those guys going to come off the bench and that's a lineup you you go to some of the time, you know, it, it, which which of the true freshmen coming in this year is actually going to start right away? I think that's kind of a question that that I really do, won't have an answer to, you know, for until I see 
you know, a, a little bit more from those guys or, or kind of hear what Chris Holman's thoughts are on some of those guys. I certainly think, and in terms of starting, starting guys, it's going to come, you know, in that, that group of, of Royal Middleton, I mean, probably either Royal or Middleton, because if you, if you're talking about starting Thornton and Gale Chapman's kind of a combo guard one, two, it wouldn't seem like he really has a an opening there to start right away positionally. So I think you're you're probably looking at one of those two guys if you're starting one of those freshmen right off the bat. Yeah, and it feels like they might need one of those freshmen to start right off the bat. I mean, you could have, you know, some mix of, you know, Eugene Brown or Tanner Holden or or a transfer coming in, but certainly, you know, much like this past year, that they're going to need some immediate contributions from you know at least two or three of those freshmen if they're going to be able to be the sweet 16 big 10 contending kind of team that ohio state wants to have next year absolutely dan and obviously dan ohio state is not going to be in the ncaa tournament here coming up but you know we're going to be watching that just the same not with you know quite the same level of scrutiny and, and attention to detail perhaps but Dan, do you have any final four picks or national championship picks coming into this this uh, this week here? All right, yeah. So I I have filled out a bracket. I mean, I, there's it's still subject to change at noon on Thursday whenever it starts. But I've got I've got a final four of Alabama, Texas, Marquette, and UCLA. I I feel really dirty picking this. I don't want to I don't want to pick it because I I just don't. <laughs> I don't want to root for Alabama with all the stuff that's gone on there this year, but picking with my head and just looking at who do I think the best team in college basketball is right now, I I do have Alabama winning the national championship over UCLA. There you go, Dan. Yeah, there are the, the top overall seed in the tournament being the Crimson Tide there. I've got Dan, Alabama, Tennessee, who was fifth overall in Kempom, Houston. And UCLA, Houston is the betting the the betting favorite, I think, right now to win the national championship. Although anecdotally, in terms of the analysts and stuff, I haven't seen a lot of people picking to win it all. I'm going to say Alabama versus Houston, and then I'm going to go Houston, which would be their their first national title. Then, yeah, yeah, they, they were heavily favored to win it with the state year. Jim Valvano running out running out on the court, five slam a jamma, but. Yeah, I, I I don't know. There's just there's something that's holding me back on on Houston. I think especially knowing that Marcus Sasser's been you know in and out with some injuries. There's just something that's hold, holding me back on them. But like you said, they are the betting favorite, so certainly would not be a shock if they were able to pull it off. Of course, I think the the most fun part of the first weekend of a tournament are the upsets. So. Griffin, what is one upset, at least an 11 seed or higher? What's one upset you think happens this weekend? Oh, yeah. I wrote two down because I didn't know who would go first here if you would take one that, that I was looking at. But I, there's definitely a couple of good ones. One that jumps out, especially for Ohio State fans, I think, would be Oral Roberts matching up with Duke in the first round here, Dan. Obviously, we remember what happened when Oral Roberts met up with Ohio State, which was the number two seed at the time a couple of seasons ago. Oral Roberts still has. Max Acemas, Dan, averaging 22 points per game this year, went 18 and 0 in the Summit League, 30 and 4 overall. You can't, you can never, you can never bet against Oral Roberts in the in the NCAA tournament, Dan. So that's what I'm going to go with. I, I was telling myself before the bracket came out that like I'm going to have Oral Roberts making a run because I think they're better than this year than the team that beat Ohio State a couple years ago, and I, I think they're a really dangerous team, but. Then I saw a matchup with Duke and I'm like, man, like I almost put Duke in my final four, like Duke's hot right now. I think they're a team that, that has a chance to, I mean, Duke, I, I mean, I, 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 because of that Oral Roberts first round matchup, I, I look at Duke and I, 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 I literally feel like the full range is possible. I think Duke could lose in the first round. I, I think Duke could go all the way and win the national championship. Like I think that whole range is possible for Duke. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there. But I, I, I'm not picking the upset on that one. I'll, I'll, I'll give a couple. I, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go three. Actually, I've got. I, I've got a 12-13 matchup in one region of a bracket because I have both Charleston and Furman winning their first round matchups. Charleston over San Diego State and Furman over Virginia to set up a all South Carolina mid major matchup in the second round. 
And then I've also got VCU as a 12 seed beating the five seed St. Mary's. I almost went with another 12-13 matchup there. I, I, I'm tempted to pick Rick Patino's Iona squad to upset UConn. I, I don't think I can quite commit to that one in my bracket because I, I do have UConn as a Sweet 16 team. So I couldn't quite commit to that one, but that's another one that I'm going to be monitoring. Dan, how about Kent State versus Indiana in the in the, the opening round here? Uh, Kent State red hot, won 10 of its last 11 MAC tournament champions. Indiana's had weird losses this season and kind of baffling, inconsistent performances at times. They obviously just lost to Penn State in the Big Ten tournament. And so, you know, I'm look at that one too, if, especially if you're, you know, an Ohio native out here. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen in past years, fade the Big Ten ha- has been a good strategy in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. So while I'm not picking that one, it wouldn't shock me. I will say another upset I am picking, I've got Memphis beating Purdue in the second round. Yeah, I, I don't. I haven't actually filled, formally filled out a bracket yet, Dan, but I'm, I agree with the the comments on Purdue, which I feel like a lot of people that have seen Purdue play a lot, you know, especially up, up close and personal, feel like, you know, maybe that maybe Edie gets called for a couple more of those those three second calls, Dan, and we don't <laughs> see the Boilermakers go quite as far. But Dan, how about uh, the women's tournament coming up here? Ohio State, a number three seed playing James Madison in round one at 1.30 p.m. On Saturday on ESPN two, Dan. What are your thoughts on Ohio State's draw here and their potential their potential run and matchups ahead for them? Yeah, and of course that game will be at the Schottenstein Center, Ohio State hosting first round, first and second round games as a, a result of being a top 16 season. So gonna be a fun weekend of basketball in Columbus. You got men's tournament at Nationwide Arena, women's tournament at Schottenstein Center. So even though no Ohio State playing this weekend, still a lot of basketball people to watch if you're a big basketball fan. And yeah, I mean looking at Ohio State's draw, you know, I think you know, James Madison, it's not going to be a walkover kind of game. James Madison is the Sun Belt champion, has a really good record this year. And so, you know, I think, you know, it's not a it's not a game you can totally look past there in terms of a, a first round game. But I think overall, I think, you know, I, I feel pretty good about Ohio State's chances of getting out of the first weekend. Second round potential matchups for Ohio State include North Carolina as a number six seed. And then, you know, an, an interesting matchup that could potentially happen is Purdue and St. John's will be playing each other in the first four on Thursday. And if Purdue was to win that game and then upset North Carolina, Purdue is one of only four teams that's actually beaten Ohio State this year. Their only regular season matchup, Purdue won that game. So potential chance at a revenge game there for Ohio State in the second round if Purdue can win two games to get that far. So certainly some potential intriguing round two matchups for the Buckeyes. But, you know, I'm I'm going to predict that Ohio State is going to get through the first two rounds of a tournament and we'll make it to the second weekend, which certainly should be the expectation when you're hosting games as a top four seed, you know, making it to the Sweet 16. That's the expectation. The goal certainly is to make it to the Elite Eight or beyond. And that's something Ohio State has not done since 1993. And so that's kind of been, that's been the hump that this program hasn't been able to get over for a long time is getting past the Sweet 16. And that is going to be a tough path if you look at it, a potential Sweet 16 matchup with UConn, which of course everybody knows is one of the powerhouses of women's college basketball. That would be a potential two free matchup for Ohio State and Seattle. And so the the path won't be, you know, we'll, you know, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about that more next week if you know Ohio State gets fair and that matchup actually comes to pass. And I will say, just looking at the bracket, that you know, UConn, this year's UConn is not quite the juggernaut that some UConn teams of years past have been. Uh, a lot of that, of course, having to do with their star guard, Paige Beckers, suffering a season-ending injury before the year. If, if they had her, they, they'd probably be a number one seed. But they're not they're not quite the juggernaut level UConn we've seen in some past years. And so while I think UConn would be favored to beat Ohio State, I don't think that uh, that would be an unwinnable game for Ohio State. And so, you know, we'll see if Ohio State can get to that point. And if so, we'll certainly be talking about it here on RealPod Wednesdays next week. But, you know, for this week, Ohio State looking to get a win over James Madison in round one. And then if that happens, Ohio State will play in round two on Monday at a, a time to be determined. 
Jen, how about the women's hockey program for Ohio State continuing its quest for back-to-back national championships? We'll play number five seed Northeastern in the Frozen Four semis on Saturday, and the winner will play either Minnesota or Wisconsin, you know, two big-time programs there in the final. Dan, your thoughts on the run here for the Buckeyes? Yeah, well, I mean, I thought it was a telling quote. I was at the game on Saturday against Quinnipiac, which Ohio State won to clinch their frozen four berth. And I thought it was a telling quote from Nadine Muzzerall. She said, I honestly believe if we had this team versus last team, this team would beat them. I really do. I think that we have more offensive power. I think that our defense is more experienced and talented. That's that's a pretty strong quote because last year's team was really good. Last year's team won the national championship and was certainly the best team in program history. So for Nadine to believe that her team this year is even better than last year's team, that certainly gives you confidence going into this weekend that Ohio State has a chance to repeat as national champions. Now, it's not going to be an easy road. You look at a potential final versus Minnesota. Ohio State is just one three and one against the Gophers this year. And so that will be a challenging matchup if that one two matchup eventually comes to pass. Of course, Ohio State's 31 two and one against everyone else. So this Ohio State team is really good. Wisconsin is a team that has beaten Ohio State once as well, but Ohio State is three and one against Wisconsin. And so I like Ohio State's chances, certainly against Northeastern in the semifinals. I think. You know, it, it's going to be a really intense game if Ohio State ends up playing Minnesota in the final. The semifinals are on Friday. The final will be on Sunday. You know, it's it's tough to go back to back. It, it, no matter what sport you're talking about, it's it's always tough to go back to back. And so, you know, it's it, we'll, we'll have to see what happens this weekend. But certainly, you know, watching them play on Saturday, you know, they were very impressive against Quinnipiac. You know, the year before they needed two overtimes to beat Quinnipiac in the quarterfinals. This year, they won convincingly. And so I certainly looks like a team that's more than capable of winning another national championship this year, but two big games that they will have to win this weekend in order to repeat. Yeah. And Dan, of course, Minnesota being Nadine Muzzerall's alma mater as both a player and she was a, a, an assistant coach for that program as well. So if that was the final matchup, certainly would would add to the, the narrative intrigue there for Ohio State. But Dan, I was not at the 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 latest spring football availability for the media as I was in Chicago um, for the Big Ten tournament. Obviously, I saw a lot of what came out of that. But I guess what were your big takeaways or, you know, things that stood out to you from that second day of, of practice and interview sessions following that? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really say, honestly, that you missed much during the practice session that we got to watch because it was largely the same stuff that we saw the first day of practice. So I wouldn't say that you missed a whole lot there in terms of revelatory stuff about this year's Ohio State football team. You know, we're hoping that next week we'll be able to watch, you know, the the first scrimmage that Ohio State has on Saturday. And, you know, hopefully we will, because I think if we, if we do, we'll be able to say a lot more about this team and actually be able to evaluate players going, you know, head to head rather than just, individual drills. So I don't know that there were a ton of revelations just in terms of, you know, depth jar and who's looking good and things like that, just from that second day of practice. But we did get to talk to a bunch of wide receivers and and linebackers after that practice. I mean, certainly I think one thing that some people are were happy to hear is Marvin Harrison Jr. saying he doesn't expect to actually return punts in games. That, of course, was something they drew a strong reaction on the first day of spring practice that he was the first team punt returner. And so, you know, does not sound like, you know, there's any real expectation that he will do that in actual games, which I think a lot of people are happy about just from the sense of it not being worth the potential injury risk of having him return punts when he's such a great wide receiver. Xavier Johnson may have set a record with how long his interview session was. I think he was out there for more than 40 minutes fielding questions, but I think that speaks to who Xavier Johnson is. Certainly one of the best players to talk to on the team. He's always very insightful and, and eloquent in his responses. And you know, he's he talked about, you know, I asked him how does he see his role expanding this year? And he said, you know, the first thing that he really wants is is to be a bigger leader. And I I think you look at you know Cam Babb moving on from a program. 
X is a guy that I can see kind of having that similar influence on the team, just as being, you know, a very spiritual leader of the team, you know, somebody who has, you know, really paid his dues in the program and has been, you know, a very selfless player for that program. I, I think he's a guy who has the potential to have a similar kind of influence on his team while also, you know, potentially playing a noteworthy role on the field as well, because we saw it last year. You know, when he got opportunities, he certainly took advantage of them. And so I, I certainly think there's going to be a role for him on the field this year as well. You know, when, when Brian Hartline was talking about the wide receivers, you know, he he includes Xavier in that top group with Marvin and Emeka and Julian Fleming. Then it's kind of everybody else after that. So it's clear that, you know, Xavier Johnson, he has, in Brian Hartline's mind, has positioned himself as one of Ohio State's top four receivers. And we've also seen him be able to make plays from a running back position when needed. And so I continue to believe that Xavier Johnson is going to have a role in the offense in 2023, even though Ohio State is loaded at both wide receiver and running back. Dan, you mentioned Brian Hartline right there. You guys got to talk to him as well. It sounds like, you know, obviously with the whole storyline of kind of trying out Brian Hartline as the offensive play caller this spring and everything like that. It sounds like from what he said, Dan, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but that it kind of seems like, you know, hold, hold on a minute. Like we're not going to, we're not cutting Ryan day out of the offense completely. Like he's still going to have his hands all over that unit and, and, and have a, a, a definite, you know, influencing influence there on the offense. Dan. Yeah. Brian Hartline, he, he said, Quote, we are elite because of what he brings to the table and returns to Ryan Day. We don't want to steer too far away from what he's going to continue to get to do. I am sure he has goals he wants to accomplish this spring, but his energy and that he brings to the table offensively will never change. So, you know, you pair that with Ryan Day uh, on the first day of spring. He was asked about, you know, had he been roaming around more at practice? And he was kind of like, yeah, at first. And then I found myself back with the quarterbacks. So, you know, I think, you know, certainly I think Ryan Day wants to put Brian Hartline in a position where he feels like he can trust Brian Hartline to call the plays. But, you know, I think, you know, I I think there's still that that inclination of Ryan Day as an offensive coach. You know, he's still probably going to spend more time with the offense than the defense in, in practice. And he's probably still going to have an integral role in offensive game planning. And so, you know, we, we may not know exactly what that looks like until September, but, it, you know, it does, even though I think Ryan Day recognizes a need to be somewhat more of a CEO, I still think his hands are going to be well within the offense. And then you guys talked to the, the Buckeye linebackers as well. What were kind of the biggest you know, the, the most noteworthy sound bites, the most interesting things you heard, most interesting interview, et cetera, after talking to those guys. Well, not shocking, but the linebackers love James Laurinaitis. They they all had very good things to say about Ohio State's new graduate assistant. I thought, you know, Steel Chambers had a fun quote. He said, quote, he said, I looked at his resume before he came. It was something out of a movie. So, you know, I think certainly a lot of excitement from those guys about you know being able to learn from one of Ohio State's all-time great linebackers and it sounds like he has immediately started you know earning the trust and respect not that he even needed to earn their respect with everything he's accomplished but I think he's you know one thing you hear from those guys is you know yeah this, this is a guy who's an all-time great player a guy who's accomplished so much but yet he's still so down to earth and approachable and I think you know that combination gives him the potential to be a tremendous asset to Ohio State's coaching staff. You know, certainly, you know, you know, three of the five linebackers who we talked to on Thursday were CJ Hicks, Gabe Powers, and Reed Carrico. And, you know, the questioning for all those guys was fairly similar of, you know, do you think you're going to be able to earn a role this year? And if not, you know, are you committed to staying the course here at Ohio State? And and all of them said they are. You know, those are all Ohio guys who grew up rooting for Ohio state. And so those are all guys who have, you know, dreamed of playing for the Buckeyes and, you know, want to want to be at Ohio state. And so, you know, all, all of them, you know, you know, read and read in particular is I think is a guy who, you know, some people have wondered, you know, is he going to stick around because he's going into his third year and there still doesn't seem to be a clear path to playing time for him. But he's he said he hasn't even given any thought about transferring. And so, you know, I think 
you know, those three guys, you know, it seems like they're committed to staying the course. The question is, you know, can Jim Knowles find roles for them this year? Can they earn roles this year? And I think, you know, the answer to that is that's very much still to be determined. You know, it sounds like, you know, Cody Simon's going to be that first linebacker off the bench behind Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. And, you know, Cody, he said, you know, he thinks having a full offseason this year, which he didn't have last year because of shoulder surgery, he thinks that can make a big difference for him and make him more ready to play this year. So, you know, you look at Cody being that first guy off the bench, that question is, you know, how much more playing time is there going to be available for anyone else? I mean, you, you, you'd like to think that those guys will at least play a defensive snap last this year, considering they didn't play any last year, but it still feels like for all those guys, nothing is imminent in terms of more playing time this year, but that's something that still has to be earned. I know of CJ Hicks specifically, a lot of people are sitting there going, why isn't this guy playing? Like we got to get this guy on, on, on the field. And I think, you know, there's reason to feel that way, but just based on what we're hearing so far, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like that's imminent yet. It seems like that's still something that has to be earned with his performance over the course of a spring and summer. Yeah. Dan, and obviously Ohio state on spring break this week, but you know, hopefully if Ohio state ends up holding up the, you know, their end of the bargain on that, that scrimmage situation, Dan, that should be pretty, pretty cool for us to be able to see. And, and that should be happening pretty soon after spring break. So stay lo- locked in for all of that stuff. Yeah. So enjoy the first weekend of March Madness. Everyone we'll we'll be watching it and getting ready for another full week of, of spring football next week. So we hope you will join us then and have a great week.